0: It's The Daily Talk Show episode 452. And we've got special guest in the studio, Peter Drew.
1: Welcome, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, Uh, Hey. Do people actually call you Poster Boy?
2: uh it has <laughs> happened uh-huh. but it uh it hasn't happened more because of the book so mm-hmm. yeah no it does happen
1: well so uh you've just re- released this uh book is it it's out this month right in September. Uh, yeah
2: no it came out in august
1: august so, so end of august the thing that uh, got my attention straight away is the cover and the poster that says aussie uh, i saw this all around my neighborhood so when i saw it straight away didn't uh know much about you, but straight away
0: knew the the image. I have put up a lot of them, so, yeah. <laughs> Well, these are the posters um, that you'd traditionally see music festivals, events, mm-hmm. uh getting slapped on the walls. I mean, uh, authors are now starting to do them. I saw the barefoot investor had his own sticky poster really? on. And but is he he cooking in, his, he his needs own glue promotion, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it, Mate, he's struggling. Is he cooking can't his s- own glue though? Can't sell enough books, yeah. but you um, you're an artist. Is that what you you, you call yeah. yourself? Yeah. And so you've developed these posters that you've slapped. You, you did a, a fundraising – not a fundraising. I mean it's oh, kind yeah, of it fun yeah. that you'll have and you're raising money for it <laughs> to stick a thousand of these across Australia.
2: That's right, yeah. So the image comes from the Australian National Archive. Uh, the man in the poster is Monga Khan and he, he had his photo taken in 1916 or his exemption to the White Australia policy. And I found the image in the archive along with a bunch of others, made them into posters, uh did a crowdfunding campaign to stick up a thousand of them. And I've just been doing it ever since.
0: Yeah. I mean I used to do uh graffiti and uh calls all sorts as a kid, but I never got paid for it. I mean, I wasn't an adult, I didn't I didn't get to do things like this. I mean, I just see it as You having heaps of fun.
2: Well, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, because I've been doing this for a long time before I started doing it kind of seriously and and wanting to find meaning in it. And I think that sometimes when you find something that you really love doing, you find an excuse for doing it forever. Mm. Uh, So what really came first for me was just the joy of sticking stuff up in public space Mm -hmm. and getting that reaction. And... uh, after a while, I found I can't keep doing this for just silly reasons. I need to find something that, uh, you know, will sustain me, keep me doing it for a long time.
0: That's where I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> i got no other reason than I'm just being silly at this point. Well, I think there's something interesting
1: because the, you, you're then taking an active approach to enter in to complex conversations. Did you feel equipped with that when you when you started doing it?
2: Yeah, because I always, you know, I've always thought a lot about things, but I just uh, it wasn't always that way with the street art. it sort of started as just just for fun and yeah, just not taking it seriously because why would you assume that you could make a life out of sticking stuff up on on walls? So uh, but I'd yeah, all all my serious thought just sort of went elsewhere and uh, I'd eventually just sort of, yeah, it just gravitated towards the street art.
1: So would you be likely at a party before you started this? to enter into conversations that's sort of political?
2: No, no, no. no. I mean, I, okay, I see where you're going because, I mean, the, in, in the book I talk about this a lot and I think that's probably what people, will, people that know me will find that surprising about mm-hmm. the book is that I'm not uh, a political person. I mean, I don't really like – no, that's not true. I mean, I don't like political art, uh, broadly speaking, because a lot of the time it is telling people how to think uh, it is comes from a set perspective, which is certain of itself and has a vision for how to change the world. And I don't, I mean, that's that's propaganda. Mm. And I think mm. that what I try to make is is art. It should be curious and come from a position of curiosity. So I really think of it as being are disguised as propaganda, because people mm. you know people mm-hmm. people want propaganda these yeah. days because there's so much sort of anxiety about what's happening to the world, where are we going? I want some certainty. Somebody give me some certainty. And so th- my, I see my posters as being sort of playing at certainty, but really um what an Aussie is, what a real Australian is, these are things that are up for debate. And I think that if someone comes at you saying, this is the way it is, this is where it should be. You should be skeptical
0: mm. uh, so you said this and I was quoted in an article I was reading that criticism can be more useful than support in helping clarify your own position
2: absolutely absolutely I mean I just there's so much silly rhetoric on on Instagram about don't listen to the haters you know mm. like, listen to the haters No, really listen to them because <laughs> even if even if what they're saying is completely wrong, if they're passionate about it, it will tell you something about the fears that they're going through um so, yeah, it does. It really helps clarify things, but you shouldn't sort of just silo your thoughts and, and block out all dissent. Mm. That just makes you weaker in the long term.
1: How do you come up with what the messaging is going to be? Does it start with writing down a bunch of things that you're excited about or passionate about and then distilling it into... You know? A lot
2: of that, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I usually just sort of, you know, when something's fascinating, or whether it's a debate or a subject, which is just sort of bubbling away, I'll dive into it as much as possible. R- read and uh, absorb absorb as much especially the stuff i don't like really get into Mm. that and go find out why don't i like this what what makes it work what makes it appealing um what do i agree with and then i'll just sort of write things down and then things will bubble up and if i have an idea i usually stick it up on the wall so then i see it every day and if it sort of if it empties itself and doesn't this is going to sound a bit silly, but I mean, if it empties itself and sort of it doesn't have any sort of energy after mm. a while, then it's not an idea worth pursuing because you get tons of ideas and sometimes they're just junk, you know, but other, some things just sort of hum and they mm. stay that way for a long time and go there's something there, there's like a trick to it which doesn't exhaust itself.
0: Does that is that a warning sign or a indicator of something that will be a good idea, that will travel?
2: Yeah, no, I think so because it, it has a life. I mean, uh, art is sort of this magical stuff that sort of captures life and makes it hang on the wall. So if it sort of holds it and – I mean because, you know, paintings that are hundreds of years old, they still hum. And so uh, you've got to just find those little nuggets and, uh, yeah, and it's just – it's sort of more of a process of being involved and just paying attention and the stuff just uh, pops up.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, doing art is interesting and you talk specifically around the, the monetization stuff. There's a whole mm. bit on money. One thing that we can relate to is uh, you do video production stuff as a, w- yep. as a way to fund uh, your art. And for us, like uh, we do video production on the side to make uh, the daily talk show happen. Is there ever a goal to say, okay, I want to get out of the video stuff or is it always going to be part of the equation?
2: I don't know. I mean, I love that too. Um, and... I I sort of go into that in the book because I always thought it would be great to just live off the stuff that I love, Mm -hmm. Um, but I do love making videos as well. But it's sort of it's nice having that separation because I can make videos for people uh, without it needing to be my voice. You know, I can if the client comes back and say we want this terrible song and we want these changes, I can go I can just sort of smile and say yeah, that's because it's your video. It's not doesn't need to sort of represent who I am. Um, so having that separation is good, and at the same time, not needing to sort of squeeze a buck out of Monga Khan and these things that I care about, I I think that would corrupt that in some way. So mm-hmm. I, I I always thought that's silly. You should be able to able to sort of um, put everything together, but I am actually quite comfortable with that separation.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, if you're to- I mean, a lot of things happen organically for artists or people that then sometimes can convert into lots of money, which then is seeming like you've won the jackpot because you do the thing you love and you get paid a lot of money to do it. And I think you're right where you start injecting the conversation of money into the thing, it can start to slowly dilute it. Have you found that – I guess the momentum of the the street art that you've been doing and and what you just see as art for the, for the best part um have you seen that sort of shift in your mind thinking oh maybe I can yeah maybe I've convinced myself now that this can be a real thing and I've and other people are starting to see it
2: yeah no I mean I I get what you're saying I've never I'm just good at spending money <laughs> so I mean like when <laughs> when the projects make money uh, you, you immediately come up with ways to go all oh, right well I can this other big extravagant thing and that will add to it and um and the money you make from art very quickly disappears disappears when you think that way but um but i think it can be a trap if you do something which is uh so popular that that it brings in so much money that you're then you kind of you can possibly get trapped into then fulfilling the audience mm-hmm. and then they're leading rather than you leading um Whereas, uh, I don't know, I think, yeah, when lots of money comes into it, it must sort of make that uh, decision more difficult. I could imagine.
0: Yeah. Um, what I, I read where you were talking about uh, the adventure, the going to the city, it's late at night. Can you – because I, I love that shit. I've done that before. I, I reckon Josh will get a, a real buzz out well, of it. Yeah,
1: I don't, I don't leave the house after <laughs> nine. so this is exciting. But
0: just run us through, say – a time where you've you've gone to the city or you've gone on a bit of a, a mission to put up
2: well i do it less now just because i don't know i just have less of a need to like i think especially when i was young it was just this rebellious thing of you get a real buzz out of out of doing that but i used to paint uh rollers and uh the right it's called roller because you use a big paint pole a big uh, sort of aluminium extended pole with a, a paint roller on the on it and then buckets of paint and you write your name or whatever you want on the side of buildings The best way to do that is to uh, get into a building uh, abandoned or otherwise and uh, get onto the roof and then lean over the the top edge and then paint on the outside wall and you can I did a couple of really big ones in Adelaide and it was a huge mission it sort of took planning it to figure out how do I get into this building it's better if, if it's abandoned and what my favorite one I ever did, I found a way to climb up on the second floor, but I, it, I couldn't sort of, I, then I had to carry up the, the paint pole and the paint. And so I had climbed up with a string attached to my ankle and then pulled up <laughs> the, the string. string and then the string. Not rope, rope. string. Well, yes. oh, no, <laughs> the the strings attached a rope and then that can hold the, <laughs> uh, the heavy stuff and then yanked up these uh, uh, cans of paint and the the paint pole, which were all tied together sort of in sequence and then got those up and then I could get up to the roof and then once you're up there, you're pretty much safe because no one's looking up at, in the middle of the night and then you can, uh, yeah, spend hours painting the thing. So well, it's, it was fun.
1: Uh, we were filming a guy who uh, revealed that he used to do a bunch of graffiti and I started asking him about what his tag was. And Tommy scolded me on the way back. Oh, man, of course he's not going to tell you he's tagged. <laughs> jo- I don't think he, <laughs> Josh idiot. didn't gauge
0: the pushback he was yeah. giving. I was just like, oh, what like, "What is it? What is it?" You know what I'm talking understand. about. I was trying to understand. But you're in an interesting position where people know you. Yeah. You're saying, "Hey, yeah, that's me. me who does that."
2: Yeah, no, it's it's weird, um, and it's it's gotten weird and weirder the longer <laughs> I've done it. I mean, look, back in the the, the day, I found these photos in the state archive of, of criminals in South Australia and I stuck them up and I thought this is, people are going to love this because they're old photographs and they look terrific. Um, they were sort of grizzly looking people. and But some of them, you know, handsome criminals as well. And, the, you know, the sort of people you go, wow, uh, I wonder what it's like to be them. Stuck them up all around Adelaide. And uh, the council who sort of knew me, they said they called me up i said peter you, you've done these right i said well yeah <laughs> and they said well we have to we have to clean them off like it's our responsibility it's in our charter or whatever it's such a civil
1: conversation <laughs> peter no honestly we <laughs> have to we have to clean this up all right what do you say back to that well
2: they they what they were calling for is they they didn't want to clean them up but they had yeah. a responsibility to do it so they said look peter if you promise to go to the property owners and and ask permission What you've already done, then we can, when, then we don't have to clean them off. You see, like if, and they knew that I wasn't going to do that because it was ridiculous. Mm. Um, but because they'd asked, then they could sort of forego their responsibility. So you have to play these stupid bureaucratic games sometimes. So,
0: and when, when does the law come into it at that point?
2: It's it's, the law comes into it when I get caught doing it. I mean, there's no graffiti task force trying to chase down anyone. That's why Mm. the whole sort of, um, whole sort of banksy thing is kind of it's it's great like you know that he's anonymous and that's sort of what makes him interesting Mm -hmm. but at the same time no one really cares the police have got real problems um and especially with what i do they're just posters they come down in the weather eventually so no one's, but if the cops catch me doing it, then I get fined, and that has happened a few times. But otherwise, there's no real risk on my part. We're we'll talking about
0: cost, uh, different fines, and why they cost certain amounts. Three hundred seventeen dollars for dumping litter on a train track. What was? What's the fine for putting up a poster in state of Victoria?
2: It depends. I've never been caught in Victoria, so I don't oh, know. where,
0: where you've been caught is the better <laughs>
1: question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, South Australia. Have you been caught in South
2: Australia? Yeah, I got caught in South Australia and in. Canberra and in New South Wales. Uh-huh. Mr
0: 97, can you look it up? See if it, if it comes up in Victoria. Be curious to know just in case we want to branch out and um, well, <laughs> Daily Talk Show on yeah. a nice
1: sticker. I mean, I'm not comparing myself to you, but uh, I did do a sticker bomb the other day of the Daily Talk Show. You can't get
2: caught putting up stickers. Well, yeah. yeah. I've
1: never – um like it, it felt very weird, but I was just like, we're, we're getting people doing it. We had people in South Africa all over the place uh, putting the daily talk show sticker and I'm like, well, oh, why should I should probably mm. do the the same thing? Uh, are there c- certain no go zones, places that you won't stick something? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you play it by ear and you just sort of, sort of, you tune up your eye to f- to seeing w- the, where things work in the landscape mm-hmm. because I walk around and I'm, I'm do it all the time. Even when I don't have posters on me, just looking for spots, like mm-hmm. where you can get to and where you can stick something. But, um, yeah, and but you just learn to play it by ear. I mean, there's places where there are other stickers or or tags, mm-hmm. and obviously uh, you can go for it. But it's spots that are ugly, and you know it's not really going to upset anyone. I don't really do sort of residential homes or places of worship or small businesses, at least not. You know, like sometimes they all have a sidewall. Mm-hmm. You just sort of – sometimes you can ask um, with the posters and – it's it's weird. Like more often than not, people go, "Oh yeah, like if I'm just asking for some side spot." So um,
0: mm. yeah. What's the criticism you've received from putting up these posters that have that has been your biggest teachers in terms yeah. of what you think about this stuff?
2: Yeah, because I mean, the, you you do get the confrontations which are just almost meaningless, but even those are interesting. Like the latest one. Uh, Was it was in Sydney in Mossman. It was a construction site that was covered in posters. I thought, oh, this is an easy spot. I'll chuck up a poster here. And the site manager came up and he just got right in my face and said, get out of here. Um, Or I'm going to shove these posters up your ass. Uh, (laughs) It was exactly what he said. Um, (laughs) But he was really angry and I sort of, uh, you know, it was just one of those weird things when he was sort of getting angry at me but at the same time you could see that he was – simultaneously ashamed of what he was doing because there was no need for it. I was just, Mm -hmm. I was already leaving and he was sort of pissed off. So, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. I just think every confrontation you learn stuff because it's intense, you know, and, uh, confrontations online, you can't see the person and it's just, it could be a bot, you know, like it could be nothing that you're getting angry about. But, um, but in the book I sort of, I detail, I try to give it an even spread because I've bumped into all kinds of different people and there are, political pathologies on all throughout politics. It's not just your stereotypical racist old white guy. I mean, they're certainly out there, Mm -hmm. um, but there are plenty of other ways in which people use politics to sort of satisfy a sort of a personal emotional need um, and that's not really helpful for politics and it's uh, it's not really helpful for them either, I think,
1: personally. Mm. What's been an interesting conversation that you've had well, I mean, yeah.
2: I mean, the most common conversation I have is like, it's someone will come up and they're a little bit sort of defensive or unsure about what I'm doing because like, here's this photo of this guy who doesn't look like a typical Aussie. I mean, yeah. that's why I chose him, and and then I talk to people about uh, the White Australia policy and who Monga Khan was, and then people sort of know something about uh the cameliers. i mean monga khan wasn't a cameleer he was a he was a hawker but people sort of uh recognize that australian history had these interesting moments uh that people would want to sort of identify with or that they find um yeah interesting and sort of non-typical and and as soon as you sort of have that conversation it becomes something that people aren't afraid of anymore Mm. And, uh, yeah, that happens all the time that uh, I'll be speaking to someone and they, they're not sure, but then we have a chat and they go, oh, yeah, the cameleers, and then they're okay with it. And mm-hmm. that, uh, that's, that's quite common. The
0: hawker, I've seen signs on, a, on door, no hawkers. I didn't know. what. I just thought it was someone who came around and handed out flyers or, you know, like a, no junk mail. Hawker is a... It's just means
2: seller, basically. Okay. I mean, someone who sells hawking products. Um, but a hawker, Monga Khan uh, was a... So he had would have had a horse and cart and all his uh, wares, uh, like a little traveling general store, basically. Yeah. would go around and uh, selling
0: stuff. Mate, I hope a general store knocks on the door here when we're yeah. hungry. <laughs> just got a bunch of things we need. No, that'd be fine. <laughs> uh, you um, you mention in the book as well, about
1: the original video that you did and you mentioned the camels stuff and you had to correct mm. um, part of what you'd said. Has that been a learning process of realising when you put yourself out there, sometimes you might take a misstep?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the mistake that I made was that in South Australia, uh, hawkers around that time did use camels, whereas in Victoria they used horses. I didn't know that. I quickly found out. You fucked up. Fucked up, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I mean, in the grand scheme – I mean, the thing is, the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem like much of a fuck-up, but I guess when you put a strong message and you are – and it does have that political element, people are holding you to a higher standard maybe?
2: Yeah, and I think the thing you ultimately learn from that is that you can't ever get it right because, I mean, he – Monga Khan was born in India and the the political situation in India like and ge- <laughs> the geopolitical situation mm. over there is so complicated and changing and then you bring 100 years of history into it. You can't really ever get it completely right. So you've got to go into a project like that or anything political with a sense of I'm in it to learn as well. I don't have all the answers, so I will be corrected. If that's your attitude from the start, then you can uh, – uh, change accordingly
1: so you make your own glue
2: yeah yeah no how a, do
1: you make glue it's <laughs> <laughs> a good question or no do you know no, how no. to make glue
0: yeah no not at all it? some kind of plant maybe some kind I, of plant extract so I think extract? in the book you
1: said flour you add yeah, flour yeah.
2: no you have to buy a uh, big pack uh, bags of flour from a uh, supermarket and then cook it up on the stove so I usually stay in the hostels because they have kitchens <laughs> and big pots and uh, yeah i inevitably get the question or people like to say oh it's a lot of porridge and i've just, uh, <laughs> just heard it so many times um, and what else do you add or is it that that's it that's it you just cook it and then all this sort of the gluten in the flour sort of releases all of a sudden it just becomes mm-hmm. sticky and i can go through 50 well, i can go through about 30 liters of, of glue in a day if i'm really going for it
1: is that like a standard mm. like a PVA glue? No, no. So
2: it's it is just the flour and water. Like there's no uh, no chemicals, no, I guess. No, right? and it's it's much easier to use in a PVA glue. It's sort of it's super strong. Uh very why cheap. aren't we using
1: why don't more people make their own glue? goes rotten, does it? I mean, well it I, does, yeah. I mean uh Is the, it clag? Is that what clag is? Yeah, Made the clag well, as a kid? It's what it's what uh
2: you use to make uh, like paper mache or something like okay. that. But the guys that stick up Band posters—they get this stuff imported from Europe, which is made from uh, potato starch. So it's the same stuff. It's really a, a vegetable product, but they, theirs has preservatives in it, so it doesn't go off. Um, but it's essentially the same thing.
0: I've been walking down the street past one of those, just freshly done, and I'm just stepping through that stuff. Have you had that? I oh, know. It's, yeah. yeah, it's just like the s- spray off. You know, they're just paint it slapping it on. What's going the deal permission wise for them? All those band posters, like, because we
1: we're even thinking of doing, like, the daily talk show, yep. like, paying someone to go and do the posters. You talk telling your story makes me feel like <laughs> make our own glue, no, do it ourselves. I
2: mean, that's, that's what I got sucked into with this whole thing is that you can just do it yourself and the scale of your project is completely up to mm. your will. Like, if you just go, right, I'm going to put months into this thing, I'm going to stick up thousands of posters all over the country, mm. You can do that, and it's no one's going to. Well, people will try to stop you, but you will get away. with it. So, but are
1: they paying someone though? Are they paying that building to you, put them on? Or
2: I think uh, sometimes they are, and then a lot of the time they just they'll see a spot and then try it out. I mean, yeah, the, the guys that stick up posters are they're dodgy dudes. Like okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the nicest possible way, they're, they're they're out there sort of finding spots and
1: and uh, just seeing what works. But someone's sometimes. paying them to yeah. to do yeah, that. It
0: feels very official. Like well, in regards,
1: yeah. like it, seeing them do it doesn't look official. Well, the guys
0: double parks around here, like fully puts his van out, and you see them out yeah, it's just, just cool. doing it. So they're they're not legally allowed to do.
2: Sometimes, I mean, a, a lot of the spots they are train but, bridge
0: underneath a train bridge.
2: But you, you'll see them do like <laughs> hoardings and construction sites and mm. just and abandoned buildings. And a lot of the times they just give it a go and see if they. Well, I mean, I, I assume because they're the same spots that I, and they're not sort of. Uh, because you, you see the way they do it they'll a few posters will pop up and they'll wait a little while and then brum, they'll do you know a few dozen yeah um so yeah i have sincerely doubt they're asking permission every time it's
0: uh if you haven't been involved in the graffiti landscape yeah you you, I, you wouldn't be aware of not you but josh i'm talking about you josh mm-hmm. you're not aware of the subculture and the the things that come along with that like there's rules and like so surfing or something yeah, yeah, right. yeah very, Most like skating has it yeah. surfing has it a lot of sporting things have it but graffiti mm-hmm. which it seems unusual but you know there's like train yards that are owned by a certain group i mean they don't own it bloody metro trains mm-hmm. own it but then there's like if you you know if you if you put posters or if you put a tag up on someone else's it's a no no yeah, what, totally. what is there a subculture that has yeah. similar rules around it
2: no, absolutely. I mean, it's like you're you're right to you know parallels of surfing or skating. There are these subcultures that are territorial, and mm. it's like a. You think about it; it's always they're pretty male-dominated subcultures in a lot of ways, and it's like a um, a sort of a, a surrogate sort of way of getting respect. It's always about respect, you know. That's the thing that guys want in subcultures. That's the currency is respect, <laughs> and it's from other men. Uh, especially more established men within that subculture, and then everything everyone else is excluded. So the sort of people who are attracted to that are people who feel slightly disenfranchised from the larger world and the, the respect that they get from uh, men, and you know, in in the wider world. I think, like, I mean, that's that's definitely sort of my own experience going into it. Is that sort of some people especially young men need like a, a surrogate uh, brotherhood mm. uh, and and sort of a game in which you can play within that in order to get respect. And it's it's usually because they have sort of tried to get that in the wider world and it's somehow been denied for some reason.
0: Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like I had some friends that were quite big graffiti artists, well-known, but it's almost like the equivalent now of building up your social media following. Mm-hmm. Like – it's all, all eyeballs are on you yeah mm. so there was all eyeballs on this person's graffiti that was absolutely everywhere. it's It's really really bizarre.
1: Mm. Well you were even talking Peter in the book about uh, when you worked in kitchens and how the uh, you weren't necessarily feeling connected with males outside or had those dude friends. Mm. Is that what the experience was for you doing the this art? Do you actually have a tribe? Of people, or is it a solo operation?
2: Well, I mean, these days I'm on very much on my own in this way. I like it, but I—I I mean, I, what I was saying before about graffiti and subcultures, I, I sort of sympathise with that because I think that's a thing that a lot of young guys, especially, go through—is mm-hmm. just feeling, looking at the world, and going, "That's not for me." Like, just that's some gut feeling of just i don't want i don't see myself in the world i don't see myself taking the world seriously or myself seriously i want an alternative Mm. and i i want to know how it works i want to know that if i'm in my case working in a kitchen if i do my job then i'll get respect and it's and it's foolproof there's no uh i'm not going to get cheated out of it it's just a a fair exchange um and i sort of i don't know I, i think that's it's a, I think that's a super interesting thing of why men are sort of young men especially are attracted to these alternate sort of ways of getting respect in the world.
1: Is that it, what sport is? Is sport just a a version of that?
2: What is it? I mean sport it is a game. It is mm-hmm. it is like a um it's like a simulation for the rest of the world in some ways and that you sort of um there are these rules you play by these rules and you will uh get respect even if you lose in the game if you sort of play honorably. Um and it's, yeah, it's like uh, training wheels for for real life. Um, and I think that, yeah, a lot of people in, in the graffiti world, they'll go into it, they'll get totally addicted to it because it's just this uh, this game that you can totally buy into. But eventually you sort of graduate from that and then you can apply those, what you've learned, like that system of respect and uh, being honorable within the rules. It applies to the wider world as well, mm-hmm. so.
0: Well, some of these subcultures are life saving for people yeah, because they cool. haven't found their place. And it's finding and then, purpose, yeah.
1: all those things. Uh, downstairs in our garage, I've been um, pushing the guys to set up a screen printing facility. Uh, we got our uh, hoodies done uh, through an external company. But I like the idea of being able to do some form of merch, uh, posters. You, your screen print is it called screen printing Screen printing, yeah, yeah.
2: and i I'd, I'd recommend i mean it is super addictive being able to make anything and what i love about screen printing is you can make it on mass like it's mm-hmm. it's once you realize oh I, I get this system i can make thousands of these whether it's t-shirts or bags <laughs> or or posters yeah and uh that's a great feeling that it's there's just no limit uh, other than your own sort of will um. Yeah, I think that's a very empowering thing. How
1: do we make the plate, The pl- you know, the plastic bit, the one that's like the – what I'm not sure on is I get the – I was watching videos of you doing it and you sort of place it down and you get the mm-hmm. the ink or the paint or whatever it is. But those plastic bits, like the actual cutout, the yep. stencil thing, how do we make that?
2: It's a, slightly more complicated. Um, I've got a video on my w- website mm-hmm. how the, to do the Manga Khan one and it's not, it's not too bad. Look, you have to use this stuff called photo emulsion – uh, so you have a, a frame, mm-hmm. and there's a mesh across the, the frame. and Then you have a, a negative uh, of your image, and you put that on the frame. And then you hit the, uh, you put cover the the mesh with photo emulsion. And what that does is it reacts to UV light, and it sets on UV light. But if you put an image in front of the light, it protects that part of the the mesh. And so then you can wash out where the image was. So everything where the light touches uh, hardens and so you have this hole essentially where the paint can go through where the image was and yeah. that's it's it's really pretty simple.
1: What's the cost in that? Do you reckon?
2: Um, well, so the, like the setup cost is uh, uh, it can be expensive because you have to get the the, the it's if you are seriously thinking of mm-hmm. doing it, the way to do it is he's not. No, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I am. I can entertain
1: I, him. <laughs> I want to do the post. I think that I'm not confident yet doing like expensive hoodies and stuff,
0: but the idea of doing yeah. posters. Because of what I've we can get thinking. you to do some um, work experience at While you Sleep, where they do this. And yeah. it, I've watched Dion do the stencil and do the light exchange in the in, in a special if room. If it's a where he's got a vacuum me. cleaner going. It's it's pretty serious. Yeah, like it sucks it in. Yeah, but just imagine if because I was thinking about okay, talking
1: to your point of you know these young kids want some purpose. They're not getting paid normally. If we were to find young people who want to do posters. <laughs> Who understand the process of where you Set can up put a them? Switch. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're not in the garage. They're out and about putting them up because they'll know the scene. They're like doing we, the criminal. Yeah, activity. Yeah, if <laughs> we know that someone's like all across, the risk is over there. Yeah. <laughs> if someone's doing Collingwood train. If if we find the people who sort of look after Collingwood train station yeah. in regards to graffiti and stuff, and we say, "Hey, we'll give you ten bucks a poster." Mm. I mean, I don't know the finance. Like, yeah. how much would it cost us to make the posters each? Oh, I know it's getting very technical. No, but it's, it's yeah. very
2: cheap and, and it's sort of economies of scale. So if you're doing thousands, they get cheaper and cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really wanted to do it, the way to do it would be to get somebody else to make the screen for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the actual part of pulling the paint over the, the T-shirt or the hoodie or the poster is very, very simple. Okay. And um, yeah, and, and super cheap.
0: I th- I find these things are, are you really need to be into them. You really need to have a keen yeah. interest. I guess yeah. your interest is there, but then it has to see you through doing the action of yeah. buying all the stuff and actually setting it up. But and there's going always through all the time. pain points of fucking a bunch of them, and then.
1: Yep. You but know. Peter, you were, there would have been a time where you got all that stuff. Like, what was the? Do you remember when you first bought your like um, screen printer and how many like like I was thinking. Um, like a four? So we can I can do four and swivel oh, or yeah, whatever? Yeah, yeah. Or something Like, like a that. carousel.
2: Yeah, um, I never had one of those, though friends did. But I started at a shared studio. So mm. there was about 20 artists and uh, shared equipment for screen printing, which was perfect. And I didn't even know that I was going to get into screen printing when I moved into the studio. I'd just gotten back from overseas and I just wanted to reconnect. So I got a shared space at a, a studio called Tooth & Nail in the CBD in Adelaide they had screen printing equipment and so I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give screen printing a go. And then right after then I had the idea for Real Australian Say Welcome and I thought, you know what, I'll do 1,000 posters and that will sort of kick things off. And so if it wasn't for – it was really um, serendipity in some ways. Was it the craft
1: though? Was that part of it? Like for a lot of young people, they get into making films and then they're like, oh, what can I make a film about? Was it that, was that the, the path for you?
2: It's, I mean, what really uh, the sort of the pinpoint? Like, I mean, my posters are actually very simple to make. Like, you can a lot of artists do sort of get sucked into the craft, and and it's it's that's kind of a trap in some ways as well <laughs> because uh, it's it's infinite how complex you want to make prints. But I, I, what I thought was great about screen printing was the the ability to just do thousands of them. Um, And I I thought, well, let's not make it too complicated. Mm. Um, But what really attracted me to it was the street. I mean, that aspect of the craft of putting the posters up on the street and going, how can I get a poster up there? Because that is going to make people, because it it tells a story, like a poster on the street on a wall, it's just a poster for a band or whatever, but a poster three stories up on a ledge, (laughs) that's a story of a person going up there and why did that person need to do that? Yeah. Um, that's more interesting. That That's part of the craft as well. That's that's the, the part which I uh, will always uh, hang my hat on.
1: Do you think it's also easier based on it looks like art and you're saying a message versus the difference between, say, a logo? So if we did the Daily yeah. Talk show logo, it looks a little bit more commercial. Do you think there is a distinction?
2: Yeah, definitely. That's what I was saying sort of at the start about art, whether it empties itself or not. Because it, if it's a sign, it sort of empties itself. You read the sign and go, that's what it means. There's nothing else there. Um Whereas if you have a, hopefully an artwork, it should have something about it that, that hums. You know, mm-hmm. it, it sort of there's this value there which doesn't exhaust itself and it, it just pulls you in and you are applying your imagination to it. Like the poster of, of Monga Khan, you look at him and go, he's an Aussie? He's got a big mustache, wearing a turban. Why does he look so heroic? It looks like it was taken a long time ago. It sort of, it pulls you into mm. it. And um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's very difficult to say what mm-hmm. is art, but it's got something to do with that sort of uh, pulling the audience in.
0: For any of uh, creative endeavors, timing plays a big part for you and what you've been creating, do you think timing has been Yeah, absolutely. Important?
2: Well, because, I mean, the the first big project I did was Real Australian Say Welcome, and that came out in 2015.
0: My wife um, shared it on the Instagram account. I just saw her and she's right. like, oh, I know that. i shared this. And then she saw her in, yeah, 2015.
2: Yeah. And it's... it's the it's easy to forget like just how things felt at different times, but 2015 and 2016 were years of this sort of xenophobic sort of unease. And especially the, the next year after the the Lint Cafe siege. But, but even in 2015, there was just sort of this feeling of xenophobia coming up. I mean, Pauline Hanson was sort of, she disappeared for like a decade and then all of a sudden
1: she was back. Do we and- know where she went? She went to jail for a little bit, didn't did she? Did she? I think she maybe Gail? like a few months. I think she did. Did she? <laughs> Is, no? Is that true? Uh, I feel I, like... I don't know, can I you know. look it up? I'm pretty sure she did... Uh, <laughs> J- jail stint? I th- there was some form of taxing years ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure of it. Well, the, we'll we had, find out. We had, that's we had, not confirmed, everyone,
0: until Miss 97. There so. was the slogan of turn the boats around and all of that exactly, shit. Exactly.
2: Like, it was just... But I mean, your question to timing, there was just this feeling at the time. And yeah, that's how I... Come up with projects as mm. I sort of try to find, like, gauge the the zeitgeist. You know, the 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 feeling overall, and what's the what's the thing that's going to help collect people's uh, attention and and push in the direction that they want to go,
0: or where is it already yeah. that people just are naturally going to and aren't sort of catching on? Well,
2: yeah, it's 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 a difficult thing to describe because it yeah. gets super abstract, but it's sort of it's like people's enthusiasms sort of gather. Uh, well, anxiety is they sort of gather collectively and then you can sort of come out with a thing that helps prick that bubble mm, and mm. people go, Oh, that's the thing we wanted we wanted somebody to say. That's let's gather around that. Mm. And that's sort of what politicians do, it's what art does in some ways. Um so yeah, that's that's what what I the way I was thinking about Real Australians say welcome is that um I think that uh yeah, people are frustrated when national identity gets hijacked by uh a Collection of people who are operating on fear being their like their organizing principle uh, because I think that Australians uh, we'd love to regard ourselves as being big hearted, I think that's one of our defining characteristics. And then when these people come along who are sort of closed minded and unwelcoming, the rest of us feel like, Well, no, you don't get to speak for us, we are bigger and stronger than that. So, um, real Australians say welcome was a way of trying to twist that xenophobia on itself and show, show itself the way it looks mm, to everyone I mean, else.
0: These people who have never met anyone who was a refugee are usually just scared. You met a group that um, took you to the airport, was it? They, um, back when you were putting out the posters, they were helping you and they took you around in the car. Did I read that right? Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, I've had help from people along the way is definitely. Um,
0: but they, ha- they were um, new to Australia – and I, I read an article. It was quite some time ago, and it was about um, they gave you a lift somewhere.
2: Yeah, I've had I've had help from a a bunch of different people. I'm mm-hmm. having trouble remembering the the bit that you're um, remembering. It's from happened the book, too
0: many times. <laughs> Just too many lifts from strangers.
1: Well, the <laughs> thing is, the art lives on beyond you as well, right? Like I saw um the the Aussie poster specifically. All of a sudden, you see Rolf Harris popping up and all that sort of thing, and you assume that this is the same artist spreading the message further really is that what you thought yeah. when you saw the I literally yeah i mean i literally thought i didn't i mean you see one i didn't even <laughs> understand. the thing is that i sort of knew the top line uh, right, right. you know i saw a guy who quintessentially doesn't look australian yep. or you know what you know what the uh, the uh, tanned bondi sort of you know version that the international people would see and so I got uh, that message and then, yeah, I just assumed that when I see other versions, I'm like, ah, oh, this, no, it's branching artist, out. yeah, it's saying something <laughs> out. like this. There's, there's another part of this message. Yep. I mean, I'm probably a bit of a dummy. Well, there are a lot of people that were saying, hey, you, have you got a new one? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, just me.
2: Um, but I mean, you're right. Like, cause it's, you, you're creating a meme in some ways. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with real Australian Say Welcome is that people, that's the way what I wanted to happen with that is that people absorb it, make it their own uh, and it spreads. Uh, yeah, that's how ideas spread but it also means that that's a way that people can criticize the idea and I think that was a good example of somebody having a sort of a fair criticism of it though I mean, I don't uh, I don't agree with that perspective. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, there's some truth to it because there's something that, I mean, the, my posters are a bit taken at face value. They're sort of the platitudinous, like they, like, you know, this is an Aussie. It's sort of a bit um easy and uh, lacking in nuance. And it's sort of pumped up and optimistic because I've picked this one guy from the archive who looks mm-hmm. proud. There are plenty of other photos in the archive of people who did not look proud, who just look like, why are you taking my photo mm-hmm. for this racist policy? Um So I, I take that as fair criticism, but, um,
1: so were you pissed off when you heard that there was this other version?
2: No, I wasn't pissed off because I think it's it's a good point, but it's not. It's sort of, it's also, but I understand the temperament behind it because the the, the sort of the the view behind that is that why are you using Australianness to sort of as as something that we should um, aspire to because uh australia is is part of po- is a is a colonial state it's it's therefore it's it's beyond redemption it's it can't be you know it's it's somehow impure that's that's but why isn't that
1: speaking to the far right then to the nationalist who wants to exactly. uh, who sees themselves as a, an australian mm. um you yeah. you mean they're posted they're well, no National as in World. as in the, the what what you're doing using the the Aussie yep. language it's mm. like it's disrupting uh, their... Yeah, it's disrupting the person their. who is on Australia Day. Having, of, course, you know,
2: of course, but it's it's to someone who's on the far... Like the person that made those Rolf Harris posters mm-hmm. are definitely someone that's on the far left um, that doesn't like anyone trying to use anything Australian as being uh, as being something that we should aspire to. Um, see, what my posters do is try to pull people to the middle and find some middle ground that... Um, the the nation state is um is a lot better than the sort of the feudal systems which it sort of came out of, and mm-hmm. it it gives us the the liberalism that allows art like mine and like the art that was critical of my work uh, to exist. Um, so there are definitely good things about it. But it, the point I'm getting at is that sort of it's puritanical to go, oh, nations have done bad things, therefore let's get rid of
1: nations. Like, what is that word? What was that word? Puritanical. puritanical. It just
2: meaning. Um, Wanting things to be pure, not mm-hmm. not being complete, being completely sort of intolerant of. Um,
1: well, it's like a black and white almost. Oh, exactly, thing. It's, exactly. Like it's either got to be this way versus mm. some form of nuance.
2: Exactly, it's in, it's a it's in a. I mean, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said that fascism is a an intolerance towards nuance, or it's an inability to accept nuance. Mm. Um, and peace, peace is always a compromise between. Uh, things that are essentially imperfect um, and I think that most people can sort of sense that in what I'm doing but um, I think that for someone to criticise uh, this project which is obviously um, uh, promoting and trying to be accepting towards somebody who doesn't look like a typical Aussie, mm. um I just think that shows a certain intolerance towards any uh, compromise like yeah. things have to be black or white and people that think that way are children you know they they're not they're not sort of uh, serious political thinkers they are um, they're sort of they're people that, that want the world to be simpler than it is
1: when when did the books uh, start coming about what was the process of that
2: Oh, right. yeah um i was going to tell you before yeah, i uh, i did a, a panel discussion about australian identity and i sort of felt like i had a lot of things to say and on a panel discussion, you, you you get a chance to say a little bit of this, a little bit, of that. and then at the end of it, I was like, "But I didn't sort of <laughs> say anything." Um, and then at the the same day, I had a right after the discussion, had a really good chat with a friend of mine about all this uh, family stuff that I hadn't really spoken about uh, to other people. It was sort of uh, unresolved family co- secrets and conflict. And then I suddenly saw that's a great analogy. That Because Australia is like a family, it has uh, a troubled history that we sort of, is very difficult to resolve or even to think or talk about. So we sort of try to avoid that. And I thought, well, maybe I can discuss them both at once. There's there's an interesting analogy there. So that's when I started writing the book. I um, then contacted somebody, uh, my editor at um, Black Ink, who I didn't know at the time. And (laughs) I sort of said, "Um, hi, I'm... I'm writing a book and I'm at the stage that I would like to sort of find a publisher. But at that stage, I had not written a single word. I just needed to hear that maybe someone would be interested, but like just to give Mm -hmm. me the confidence basically. And uh, Chris, who was very generous, said, oh, it's interesting. Can you send me a sample? I said, yes, I can. And then got to work (laughs) writing it and uh, managed to um, catch his interest and he was very encouraging. And so the book sort of came from there.
1: What was the process like? Like, is it uh you know a bunch of dot points? Is it working out a narrative?
2: Yeah, it's. I think it has, it must be. I'm I'm writing again, and I think it's going to be different this time. Um, but what made this? Uh, I think I'd been thinking about it for years, just sort of bubbling away, and the book does follow a pretty chronological order with the poster projects, and interwoven in that is is the family stuff that really um gives it its emotional core, yeah. I guess. Um, and so I know. I think I, I'd just been thinking about it for a long time. So the first half just sort of rushed out in a few months and then the second half was much harder to sort of tie all these threads together and, and try to make sense of it all.
0: Did you see yourself as a writer at all? Like, you know, your tool being the paintbrush on the building, the posters, and then picking up the pen or well, typing?
2: I, I mean, you'd know with. Doing video stuff, it is you are telling a story, it's all very similar <clears throat> when it comes to editing. You're sort of writing in a way, you're sort of telling a story. Um, it, my posters use words, um, so but no, but <laughs> it was a different process. There's obviously 60,000 words, yeah, in this yeah book yeah. rather than just four on the poster, but um, uh, it was, it was, I learned a lot through doing it, um. Uh, And I just, my my guiding principle for the whole thing is, well, I'm not uh, an experienced writer, I'm not a trained writer, but if I can be completely honest, that's kind of a, um, that can actually help a lot if, I mean, because in doing that, if you sort of commit yourself to being honest, you go through a story and eventually get to things that you really didn't want to talk about, but you go, well, I said, I was going to be honest. Now I have to try to uh, reconcile this thing that happened. Mm. And that, Did you have to
1: make a bunch of calls to people before the book went out and said, Hey, I'm talking about this, we haven't even discussed it or
2: you No, know? I didn't do that because I I mean, like the, the posters, I just I don't really ask permission. <laughs> I just I, I trust that um the truth is is going to be better for everyone in the long mm-hmm. term, I think. And so I and obviously, you know, books are written by people, not by committees. I this is my view the way my life is and the way Australia is um, if people don't like it then they're absolutely welcome to and I don't want to I don't aim to upset people I aim to sort of uh, make people feel better really um, so, yeah. is, it, is it
1: hard trying to uh, get to a universal truth
2: well it's impossible yeah. that's I mean that's the <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh if there are any universal truths that's got to be one of them that it's yeah. the, the the world being infinite and our minds being finite, uh, we're not going to have, uh, we're not going to find things that are these set rules that will work every single time. Mm. Um, And so that realization gives you a bit of humility. Mm. Um, It doesn't mean don't try. It doesn't mean like don't try to improve the world. It just means be humble while you're doing it because you are human and you will inevitably fail or, and and some in some cases make things worse. You can't sort of, and you'll make things worse for sure if you go out there completely convinced of your righteousness.
1: So yeah. Do you, do you feel like when you're writing the book, that you would start to call bullshit on previous truths? Like I guess once you go hmm. further back and you start creating a narrative or working it out, can you start to see, oh, actually, this probably did it actually happen like that?
2: No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of me sort of questioning my, my previously strongly held beliefs in the book um, because, I mean, really, I got caught up in the enthusiasm of what I was doing and ran with it for years because um, I sort of needed something like that. And the book was really a chance to just do an an audit on everything I'd done. And all my thoughts, and to sort of collate some sort of sense out of it all, um, and absolutely, like if you're not willing to to do that and sort of and to change your views, then um, you're not. You sh- how can you really be trusted in a way?
0: I think. I just want to close the loop, Mister 97. Pauline Hanson, did she go to jail? <laughs> Eleven weeks in jail. Oh, nice wow, little holiday. Just what re- was it for? Uh, it was for a flat-out racist electoral fraud, <laughs> which oh, was level, which that was, that was later overturned. Oh so really? She, oh. Yeah. After she spent the time in jail, oh, that's all right. Um, spewing, um, and then, then yeah. also the fine in Victoria, did $793. you? Seven hundred and ninety-three dollars. That's pretty high. That seems high. How do they get to those unit points? We're working out <laughs> the the penalty units. Penalty units. They they give a certain amount of penalty units to something, and then right. that that calculates the 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 price of the fine. Mm. So there's a bunch of penalty. I mean, I can go and throw. An old TV onto the train line mm. and only pay three seventeen. <laughs> yeah, so that's
1: a better investment from an art installation definitely than doing a poster. Apparently. There is an old Macintosh computer down there. <laughs> could be art. What's but That's the, ridiculous. What's the most embarrassing piece of art that you've ever done?
2: Oh, um, God. I mean, things. Yeah, I mean paintings. I mean, I, I used to paint in acrylics mm. on canvas, and I've done paintings that are uh, yeah that I've. You know, I'm, I have to. I've deliberately forgotten because <laughs> they're embarrassing.
0: Um, Are you the classic artist though that looks back at something like, a, for I guess what you could relate with is making videos and looking back at stuff from ages ago where you thought at the time, yeah, cool. Absolutely. But now you're like,
2: oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and yeah, the more you thought it was fantastic, the more embarrassing <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, every every artist must have that stuff.
0: But um, what do you what do you see when you look at this photo now or oh, the poster?
2: oh no I still I still love this stuff I mean the stuff I'm doing I think I'll be doing it for a long time because I think it will sadly be relevant for a long time because you know these uh divisions are very hard when it comes to uh sort of race and ethnicity it's Mm. it's very hard for people to overcome those um points of conflict I guess but um yeah as i said at the start that's really why i gravitated towards it because i wanted something that i could work on for a long time whereas before um yeah i i think the stuff i was making was more abstract and less direct um it's sort of easy to do that as an artist is to sort of say stuff in a vague way so you don't have to stand up for it um it's sort of it's a way of hiding in a way
0: finding your voice is something we hear try and find your voice as an artist as a video person as a you know a graffiti artist whatever it is you know find your style is this you finding your footing do you feel like it is you I found my voice this is this is where I'm at
2: Yeah, well, I think if finding your voice is something you want to do as an artist, then it has to be something that is evolving as well. I mean, because ultimately you want an audience that wants you to take them on a journey Mm. and they like it when you are slowly changing and taking them somewhere they didn't expect. So I guess, yeah, when it comes to finding your voice, you don't want it to be something which is uh, putting yourself in a box. Um, But I think that where I've wound up, it's just, uh, just where my abilities... Uh, took me, I, I guess. Um, I don't know. I guess if you feel like you're holding back and there's other things that you can do, then you need to find a way of lassoing them into what you're what you're putting out there as well. Whereas, I mean, because I always think about things philosophically or politically, but they, that wasn't really upfront earlier on. That mm. was very much in the background cause I was sort of hiding it. Um, didn't really want to put it on the line. So I guess that, yeah, when it comes to finding a voice, just get everything in your arsenal and and put it on the line.
0: But then we are sub, subconscious beings acting in our subconscious as well. So it's like injecting bits of that in, whether we think it's, you know, a certain way, mm-hmm. but then all of our past experiences make up what is the result, you know, today. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all the things we've done in the past, it led to this and for you too.
2: Yeah, and, and I guess that means that you can't ever really know – like. That's the thing you've got to give up as well is that the audience is probably going to be able to see more of you than you are willing mm. to reveal, mm. you know? Um, And you have to be all right with that. That's that sort of accepting that vulnerability that they're going to see into you. Um And that's kind of what people, that's what you want, isn't it? If you're an artist, you want to be seen, you want to be recognized and mm. not, not in terms of fame necessarily, but just people seeing who you are because uh if art can do anything, it's, it, it can sort of reveal something which uh, which can't can't normally be seen.
0: It's a it's a good um, authenticity. It's a good mm. explanation of what people push for in art and creative endeavors is be authentic. It's like that's that's kind of what is the result, and you get authenticity out of that. But to try and do that on purpose is I think where some people go mm. wrong. They go I want to be an authentic and I want to make this. Just put myself out there, reveal it all. Sometimes it does the opposite, right? It's like, sure, shows the cards in the opposite direction.
1: Well, I think people who say that they're like um, woke or authentic <laughs> are probably like lacking, like it's lacking some form of self awareness or whatever, or they're signalling something that that mm. maybe yep. feeling they don't necessarily have. Mm. I mean, from a content consumption point of view, I'm guessing that would play a part too. The things that you are. Watching day to day, listening to what is your consumption like when it comes to media? Oh,
2: um, I just sort of let it wash over me like a fucking storm. I mean, like, <laughs> it's it's kind of fun to do that because it's that I think that's the way that uh people get into media these days is they just let it bombard them and they uh get into a frenzy. I mean, I mean I'm not like that all the time, but I just I can see, I mean, people on Twitter especially that they're just in it and uh, completely consumed by it. So I think it's good to do that to sort of come up with new ideas. Um, do you spend
1: time on Twitter?
2: Yeah, not, not heaps, but I just sort of dip in and out because that's where a lot of stuff's happening and I like to sort of see how people use it mm. and the way, it, the way the tool makes them think, Yeah, you know, because the way we use tools... Changes the way we think. I mean,
1: Twitter is pretty, like, Twitter <laughs> brings out some interesting characters. I mean, I watched the Adam Goods Docco um, over Haven't the weekend. It yeah, it's amazing. And the Twitter is used a lot as a way of showing the the Australian conversation, mm-hmm. um, you know, around him. And I just think it's like, it does bring out the worst. Yeah, um, because
2: it's the toilet wall made, um, uh, Made immortal, you know, mm. like you're meant to be able to clean the toilet wall, you know, yeah. it's you're meant to be able to forget that garbage, but mm. it's just it's there forever. Squaw-
0: squawking birds at a bin, that's what I've heard it, yeah, uh, <laughs> explained as too. It's like that's the conversation, just birds <laughs> getting shit out of the bin and, <laughs> and yeah, it uh, has a vibe, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, so from here, uh, uh,
1: you've got Poster Boy, you're off to um Sydney later in the week. What's a tour for a book like? What's What's the deal?
2: Well, it's I'm Sort of discovering because I don't really know the book world. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm in Sydney later this week. So Sunday at 3 p.m. at Better Read Than Dead. And uh, after that, we haven't set dates yet because I've already been to Brisbane and, and here in Adelaide. I'd like to go to Perth, but I just haven't set it yet. But these things, I mean, books, <laughs> these things, books have a, a long tail. So it's yeah. sort of, um, uh, I can sort of keep promoting it. For a while um, is, is there
0: anything about is there a subculture of authors is that a thing
2: well i think so absolutely i mean book world is uh is definitely a thing because there are not everyone reads not everyone mm-hmm. goes to uh to book festivals so um and you did
1: tedx as well too right so yeah so, you've one got, of those a while. so you got tedx author
0: artist. like these are a few subcultures that you're entering yeah into. totally <laughs> You just need to start surfing and then like, surf some, un- <laughs> you know, breaks that are protected. And so
1: once once the book's all done, will you just go go home and start like making some glue?
2: Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I trying to get a picture. Like it is, um, yeah. Like on the the previous times that I was, you know, when I was in Brisbane and here last, I, I was sticking up posters at the same time as mm-hmm. going to the book launch. I mean, yeah, these things overlap quite nicely um
1: it's it's is that your some... way of saying you're currently putting posters up around melbourne i'm the... i'm not
2: this week which uh-huh. is weird i mean it's such a part of my life it's not it's weird for me to be away from home and not have posters with mm-hmm. me because it's so easy to just sort of oh yeah i'll, I'll do posters in the morning and then in the afternoon i'll uh catch up with people um, if you
1: need to store anything you can store stuff here we and stuff yeah
2: you don't you don't know what you're getting
1: into. <laughs> <laughs> you I open it. Open <laughs> the garage. It's, it's my whole screen printing business. just Peter and I working <laughs> together. One daily talk show, one Aussie.
2: <laughs> I get messages from people saying, oh, yeah, like, you know, come, come and stay with us. And I'm like, sure, because I, you know, cooking up 30 litres of glue each day, it just, it's a pain in the ass for yeah. me, and you don't want that in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so It doesn't have the smell because you hear no, the thing of fine. people's...
1: Um, Oh yeah, they've been like sniffing glue because mm. that's the chemical one. This one you can cook and you're it, fine. It's fine.
2: It just smells like clag. And you could okay. eat it. You could eat it. You could. Let's be honest. If you were desperate, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the no. the, the, it's the sad, show.
1: Man. It's uh, it's so interesting seeing uh, other people doing the things that they love, and I love the fact that you're um, it's got a message to it, and uh, and yeah, I think it's really cool. Well, it makes us Cheers. think. You mm. know,
0: that's you've thought about it. And it makes people look at it and go, what the? And yeah. then interpret and then internalize and then think about it. So, it's yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, sure. Thanks for coming on the Basically. show. It's a daily
1: talk show. Hi, the daily talk Com is the email address. If you want to send us an email, you're uh, Peter Drew Arts on Insta. Yep. Is that right? Uh, check you out there. If you enjoyed the show, take a screen grab, put it on Instagram, uh, tag us up so we know that you're listening. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow. See you guys.